So what's your story? And do you know how it fits into God's story? Well, today, and we begin this Christmas season, we're going to look today at God's story, and then we'll look and see next week uh, how our story intersects. And today, I just want to give you the entirety of the scriptures in the next 30 minutes. Is that all right? And it actually took about 35 minutes for service, but I, I think I can get it down to 30 minutes for you. But I want you to have an open heart and open mind because the story of God has kind of three vantage points. If you zoom out, you can see the bigger picture of the scriptures is God's pursuit of humanity. And then when you zoom in just a little bit closer, you can see God's relationship with the people of Israel as the story. But then if you can get even closer, if you zoom all the way in, you can see where you fit in the story. Now, the story of the scriptures is actually one story, but told in the context of 66 different books, written across 1,500 years of history. It has amazing twists and turns and drama and tension and poetry and wisdom woven throughout real history of nations and kings and people. And yet there's a common thread through the whole story revealing God's character. Now when I say we're going to talk about the Bible, the scriptures, I know some of you have some resistance. Some of you might think of the Bible as an ancient and an irrelevant book with an archaic view on women and sex and violence. It, you feel like the Bible has been misunderstood and misinterpreted and even used to hurt or oppress people. There's others of you here that, that you've tried reading the Bible and you can maybe even see some value in it, but most of it doesn't make sense. The Bible seems to be too old and too long and too confusing to understand. Others of us might be all for the message of God through the scriptures, but we still find ourselves resistant to take the time. Maybe we're too busy to spend reading the scriptures. Whatever your resistance, I want you to consider having an open heart and an open mind today. I wonder what if, what keeps you from experiencing all God has to offer to you through the scriptures has more to do with your view of the Bible than the Bible itself. I want to acknowledge the Bible has been misunderstood and misinterpreted and even used for the agenda of people who did not have the heart of God. The Bible can be hard to understand. Some passages were written so long ago and seem so different than our day and time. And, and I want to also acknowledge that, that there's a darkness within us and a darkness in our world that actually tries to keep us from discovering the mysteries revealed in the scriptures. And so today, I want us to understand the big picture to help us avoid common mistakes and misunderstandings so that we can read every passage in context. And we do this with every other story. So we should do this with the Bible as well. I mean, it's Christmas time, and there's lots of great Christmas movies. How many of you are fans of A Christmas Carol? Not as many as in the first service. That group is more nostalgic, I suppose. This year, my wife said, I want to watch all the versions ever made of A Christmas Carol. And I thought, we just have seen two already. Is that enough? But the story of A Christmas Carol, which, by the way, there's a great version at Zach Theater. Some of you who work there have done a great job. It's a beautiful rendition. But if you just came into the theater 
at the very end or, or, or read just the last part of the book, you might completely misunderstand the story. Because the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, who is this miser who, who actually had three different spirits, the Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future, spirits visit him and he's miraculously transformed from a miser into a generous man who in the end saves the life of Tiny Tim. And at the end of the, the film, the story, what does Tiny Tim say? And God bless us, everyone. Okay, so you know the story. But if you only came in or only read the last part of the story, you might think of Ebenezer Scrooge as this great and generous hero, worthy of naming your child after him. <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge Bryant, right? <laughs> but if you only knew the beginning of the story, you might see him as hopeless and unable, incapable of change, and one of the most diabolical characters ever written. And so you would name your neighbor's cat after him. <laughs> but actually, when you know the whole story, you see this journey that he takes. And so we need to do the same with the scriptures. We need to know the whole story. Some of us are just looking at little scenes and moments and completely misunderstanding who God is and what he's trying to do in the midst of the story. Some of us only look at part of the story and we end up missing the entire point. So we'll start from the beginning. The scriptures tell us in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you've ever gone outside, outside of the city, where there's not as many lights, you might notice stars in the sky. And if you look really closely, if you're really out in a place where there's a great deal of darkness, you might even see planets. And if you've ever looked through a telescope, you might even see beyond that, planet after planet and galaxies and stars and be amazed at the creativity of God. But you can also see God's creativity on planet Earth. So many different insects and species of animal. So many different amazing creatures. And yet, the scriptures also tell us that God created us Unique. We, humanity, we were created in God's image, which means we're to co-rule with God. We're to take responsibility for planet Earth, to care for this beautiful place that God created. Listen to what Genesis 1 says, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We see this beautiful picture in the scriptures of a relationship that God had with, with humanity. But because of God's love for us, he gives us freedom. And in that freedom, he told Adam and Eve, everything is yours in this beautiful paradise, except I don't want you to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, it's because of his great love for us that he gives us free will. And this story, if you don't know how that ends, it did not go well. <laughs> they ate of the one tree they should not eat. And you think, if they had not done that, We'd still be in paradise. We'd all be naked. Like this would be an amazing place to be on planet Earth. Not the naked part. I mean the paradise part. <laughs> I got that out of order. But in the end, 
We actually see this happens all the time. Every day we have the freedom to choose and we fail. I mean, even our most beautiful babies, right? You tell that beautiful child that you love and you tell them, do not touch this. And what do they want to touch more than anything else? Whatever you told them not to touch. See, God created us with freedom and in the freedom we chose to go against God's ways. See, in the story of the scriptures, at the very beginning, a dark and mysterious character enters the story introduced as a serpent representing evil at its source. And he tempted Adam and Eve saying, you won't die, you'll just be like God and know the difference between good and evil. And as a result, humanity chose to go their own way, doubting God's generosity and rebelling against him. And each of us has fallen. Generation after generation, we choose and we keep on choosing and we choose to play God and to choose our will and our ways over God's will and God's ways. We experience the knowledge of good and evil along with God's good gifts. And this has led to disastrous results. Our, hum- our relationship with God has become broken. Our relationship with the o- others is broken. Our relationship with the planet is broken. Everything is broken down. Everything has been infected by this knowledge of evil. But fortunately, there's more to this story. 4,000 years ago, about 2,000 years before Jesus, God chose Abraham, also known as Abram. And he said that through him, that him and his wife would have a child and they would have so many children that, that they would be blessed and all nations would be blessed. Now, This idea of being chosen is often misunderstood. It doesn't mean better than. Like some of us have wounds from the playground playing kickball. Someone was in charge and they did not choose us. But really, if you take that analogy to what it could be, when someone is chosen to be the captain, their actual job is to choose others, to involve everyone. And that's in essence what God did with Abraham. Listen in Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Blessed to be a blessing to all peoples. In fact, the scriptures are the only spiritual book, only sacred book that actually mentions all nations, all peoples, all tribes 500 times. And we shouldn't forget that because sometimes we find ourselves having a relationship with God, feeling chosen by God, and thinking for some reason that it's because of something that we've done, forgetting that we've been blessed, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to those around us. So in the story of the scriptures, how is God going to bless all nations through Abraham and his wife Sarah? Well, two primary ways. He will create a people set apart with very distinct laws and and protections in order to do two things, to record and preserve God's words through the prophets, but also to foretell and prepare the way for God's own self-revelation as the Messiah or the Christ. Now, we need to keep both of these in mind. God makes this promise, and as we see in the scriptures, that sometimes people trust God and sometimes they don't. In fact, Abram was getting old and he knew of this promise and he hoped for this promise to be fulfilled, but but Sarah was not getting pregnant. 
And so they took matters into their own hands. And the, the Bible tells us that Sarah gave Abraham, her maidservant, to have a child with. Her name was Hagar. Also not a popular child's name. But when you see the story, you see what a terrible choice that was. In fact, it's a good example of a bad choice. And over and over and over, you can read the scriptures and see all sorts of things that the people would do that we're not supposed to do. That's not actually what God would want. In fact, Ted Beasley once joked, you see these people, these men married to multiple wives in the scriptures and the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Do you know what the punishment for being married to multiple wives was? Being married to multiple wives. <laughs> if you don't like that joke, it's a Ted Beasley joke. You can email him. <laughs> but we see over and over good examples of bad choices. And ultimately, Abraham, in spite of his lapses of faith, instead of the moments of bad decision-making, there's still a moment where God reminds him of the promise in Genesis 15. It says this, God is trying to say, trust me, I'll make a way. And he says, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So the entirety of scriptures is actually an invitation to know God through faith. See, religion is man's attempt to do enough good works to get to God. But actually, the story of the scriptures is actually God coming to us, saying to us, just trust me. See, it's good news and it's bad news. The bad news is we could never do enough to get to God. But the good news is we don't have to. That God is actually coming for you, pursuing you. His love for you is real in spite of what you may have done, in spite of what you, where you may have come from, in spite of what you might even think. And so we see the story of Abraham and Sarah that they, they trusted God in spite of their lapses and eventually they had a son, a son named Isaac. And throughout the scriptures we see these moments, these signs of God at work, foreshadowings of what he was actually planning to do. And so we see uh, Abraham acting out the crucifixion story 2,000 years before Jesus. When he sees Isaac and senses from God. He thinks that he's supposed to sacrifice his son. And, and in many ways, that is so far from our minds as a possibility. But for Abraham, that's what every tribe was doing in those days. In fact, every tribe was like Isis in those days. And Abraham probably had this thought that, that God miraculously gave him this son and so God could bring him back from the dead. He even told the people he was traveling with that we will be right back. And as he goes off to sacrifice his son, miraculously a ram appears and he realizes that is not what God wants. But on that exact same hill 2,000 years later, the son of God willingly sacrificed himself for all of humanity. And so what we see in the scriptures is God chose a, a person and through that person, a great nation would come, a peoples that would bless all nations. And then 3,500 years ago, God told this nation through the prophet of Moses these words. Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
the Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. See, the God revealed through the scriptures is the same throughout what we call the Old Testament, through the Hebrew scriptures and in the New Testament. He's not different. He reveals himself as one who delights himself in us, who wants a loving relationship with us, whose invitation to us is to love him, to trust him, to believe in him. Do you believe and realize that God wants you to delight yourself in him, that he delights himself in you? And it starts by a willing heart, a willing soul that says, I trust you. See, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures sometimes trips us up. There are all sorts of laws, but we have to remember there are specific laws to a specific people in a specific time and place. People who are supposed to live set apart and differently than the rest of humanity. A few years ago, I was in a life group, part of Gateway South, and we were reading through the scriptures, and one of the guys, Paco, who works for a nonprofit uh, with, that knows how to navigate and maximize our green spaces in the city, he comes back after we read through Leviticus, and he had this great insight. He said, Leviticus is a genius description of how to survive in the wilderness. All these rules about hygiene, it just makes perfect sense in those in that specific time in history. So we need to look at the scriptures through the lens of the cross, through what we've seen fully revealed in Jesus. See, throughout the scriptures, we see these signs pointing to life and to death. And often history is written by the winners. But the scriptures are written by a people who've been oppressed and persecuted and enslaved and yet remained resilient. And we see in Exodus... The second book in the Bible, only 64 more to go. In the second book in the scriptures, Exodus, we see the story of God giving the law and freeing his people from slavery. And we see another one of these remarkable signs. If you know the story of the people of Israel, Moses, often portrayed by Yul Brenner, <laughs> goes, which I've, said, I've heard I've, I resemble, but Moses would go up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And over and over and over, the Pharaoh would harden his heart and would not let them go. And all sorts of plagues came to the land of Egypt. And the worst at the end was the death of the firstborn. But God made a way. Anyone who put the blood of the lamb over the door could be free from harm, whether Egyptian or from Israel. And it was finally after that plague that the people of Israel were freed. And ever since, the people of Israel have celebrated the Passover when the blood of a lamb actually rescued the people. And Yom Kippur, every year, a lamb was sacrificed for each person to cover the sins of the previous year. And it was on Passover that Jesus known as the Lamb of God, became the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity. 
And we see that God was pointing towards this moment. Now, we went from the Abrahamic covenant, which is unconditional. God said, through you, I will bless all nations, and that has happened. But the Mosaic covenant is conditional. Listen to Exodus 19. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nations. This conditional covenant means if you obey, then you will be blessed, and if you rebel, you will experience suffering. And we see that happen throughout the history of humanity. And the people of Israel, there were seasons when they were obedient and were blessed, like in the days of King David. But sometimes in the midst of being blessed, we become arrogant, thinking that we somehow deserved our blessing, and then we end up rebelling and facing suffering. And we see this happen not only in the people of Israel, but in our own lives. So then you might think, well, what is the purpose of the law? If, if the law was not able to be fulfilled by how we live our life. When Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, well, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. See, the purpose of the law was to show us why we need the Messiah, why we need Christ, and to lead us to a faith that changes our heart. Here's an interpretive key in the New Testament. Paul says this, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So we're no longer under the Mosaic if-then law. But that doesn't mean we're to live any less ethically or morally or less godly than the law lays out. In fact, what's interesting is There's both good news in that and and certainly hard news. See, you can be obedient to God and actually still suffer. And there are people who do not follow the ways of God and they seem to be incredibly successful. But what we see is in the Old Testament, the law tells us, do not murder. But Jesus said in this age of the Spirit of God that we shouldn't even have anger in our heart. The law says we should not commit adultery, but But the age of grace means we shouldn't even have a lustful thought in our minds towards another person. See, grace is never less than the law. The Hebrew scriptures are the scriptures that Jesus pointed to, that Jesus fulfilled. Beautiful stories, case studies of people, men and women who trusted God and others who walked away from God. And we see in the scriptures over and over and over that sometimes the consequences of rejecting God is actually getting exactly what we want in spite of how painful it might be. But there's more to this story. See, the story continues after the judges and the kings we see in the midst of that prophets who continue to warn and even speak of hope of this Messiah who was to come. And we see that God always comes through on his promises And that God would return to live among his people as the Messiah. And you might look at the prophets and feel like, man, God seems to be always mad. But actually what you need to understand is actually God is always merciful. I'm going to give you just a few quick examples. Jonah. Know the story of Jonah? Maybe you remember it from flannel graphs as a kid. 
Maybe you've watched VeggieTales version. You probably didn't know this. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he hated the Ninevites. He wanted them to be destroyed by God. He wanted God's wrath to pour out on them. And so, reluctantly, with the help of a whale, he ends up in Nineveh and reluctantly shares about this pending destruction. And the Ninevites all respond and turn to God, and Jonah is upset. This is the part that didn't make the kids' movie. He actually says to God, I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and I hate that about you. Why don't you just kill me now since you've forgiven my enemies? You didn't know this, but Jonah was a suicidal missionary. (laughs) See, sometimes our love doesn't extend as far as God's love extends. God is a loving God, always merciful. And if you just pull out pieces here and there, you might think he's always mad. But in reality, he was always warning, always pointing towards hope. Or Jeremiah, which says this in chapter three, one of the prophets says, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever, only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. He uses this language describing himself. God describes himself as a jilted lover. His heart hurt when we abandon him and yet always there to receive us. God is pursuing you. All you must do is turn back to him or turn to him the first time. But there's more to the story. See, the prophets told of the Messiah, the Christ who was to come. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus is presented as the embodiment of all of God's love and mercy the kind of person what we were all made to be but failed to live up to, the faithful one who would fulfill God's promise to return divine blessing to all nations. And yet, the people thought he would come and destroy the evil Roman Empire, but instead he took on evil and sin and death itself, willingly dying on the cross for you and for me, and yet defeating death, rising from the dead, his spirit come to live among us and with Jesus came a new kingdom that's why he tells us to pray that on earth God's kingdom comes as it is in heaven see he reconciles us so that we might be reconcilers he redeems us that we might become people who bring redemption to the world around us he restores us so that we might bring restoration to the world around us you know I wonder if you've ever struggled with the end of a Christmas carol Does it ever seem a little bit quick how Ebenezer Scrooge is suddenly no longer a miser? I mean, I have family members who were old and miserly, and it didn't matter what kind of dreams they had. They didn't change quite like that. See, the story of the scriptures actually gives us hope because, see, we can try really hard to change. I'm going to be good today, right? And as hard as we try, we fail over and over. But the story of the scriptures is of a loving God who comes to rescue us, who offers us forgiveness so that we might forgive ourselves and learn to forgive others. All we must do is ask 
and he is there for us. Listen to this passage from Titus chapter two. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The story of God's love is for all nations, for all of humanity, a love for you. And you are invited into his story. He wants your story to become a part of his story. And the choice is yours. We can either define good and evil for ourselves or trust in God's love and his wisdom to surrender our heart to God, to surrender our ways to God, allow him to guide us that his will may be done in our life rather than demanding that our will be done. I wonder today in this Christmas season, where is your heart? Where are you in the story that God wants to write in your life and through your life? One of the most freeing experiences you could ever have is surrendering to a loving God who wants to guide you, forgive you, be with you, who does not condemn, but who came to rescue. So in this moment, I want you to open your heart, open your mind that God wants to speak to you and help you surrender.